0: You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at PiedmontChurch.net. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5 with me this morning. Romans chapter 5. If you're sitting there wondering, going, hey, why, why do they do this at the movies series? Like, what is the purpose of it? I thought we were supposed to be looking at the Bible. Well, first off, Obviously, I just told you to Romans 5, so we are going to be looking at the Bible. Uh, I I would say that the purpose is when we look at how Jesus taught people in, in the Scriptures. Time and time again, what you see Jesus do is he takes the everyday illustrations, the everyday moments of life to teach them theological truths. And I don't know about you, but I just absolutely love movies. I know that there's some of you Scrooges out there that go, Oh, I never want to watch a movie the rest of my life. And, you know, one day the Lord will reveal to you that you're wrong. But... Movies are just such a good blessing. I mean, they're, they're fun escapes. I don't care what ty- different types of movies you like. There's just really great movies out there, and it's something in our culture that is constantly being put in our face, right? Netflix, Disney+, Hulu, all the things, let alone the old-fashioned way of still going to a movie theater. Raise your hand if you've been to a movie theater in the last six months. Okay. All right. We still, thank you. We still got some hold, hold, holding out. I appreciate that. I love movies, and the movie experience is really good. But our, our aim in this series is to show you the redemptive story of God through the storytelling of others while unveiling the foundational truth that all knowledge comes through Him and from Him. And so today, today we're kicking off this series uh, with looking at a movie called Finding Nemo. If you're not uh, familiar with the movie, I'll, I'll do a really quick recap. So the movie begins with a, a husband and wife scene where uh, there's a tragic accident, not really an accident, I guess they were eaten by a predator, so <laughs> the, uh, the husband is left with uh, just his son. And if you can imagine being a single parent, um, going through the traumatic experience of losing your spouse and 365 children, um, then you would um, be very familiar with Marlon, who is the main character of this movie. Uh, he finds himself in this position as a parent, very protective, right? Because he, he's already lost his love of his life his bride and 300 and something kids, and now all he has left is his little son, Nemo. And so through the protective parent, the helicopter parent moment that he probably finds himself in time and time again every day in life, uh, Nemo begins to kind of, you know, stretch his wings a little bit and tries to push boundaries. And through that, unfortunately, is captured and taken away. And here Marlin finds himself lost. He has no son, and he is in a, just an utter pit of despair, so he begins to go and look for his son and along this path he runs into a friend named Dory um, and she helps him eventually find Nemo I know you know spoiler alert 27 years later but there's so many different ways that we could look at this movie I mean there's a lot of great timeless truths that I see in this movie but as I was taking my notes and I was kinda of going through uh, the narrative, really, of Scripture and going, so where as humans are, are we kind of putting, well, we don't know, God's story in this movie? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but in every story, I believe that there's a little bit of God's story in it because He created each and every single one of us. And so we don't create anything without the ultimate creator putting creation in us, if that makes sense. And so, as I'm looking at this movie, I, I begin to kind of make notes, and I, I I struck a chord with this connection between Dory and Marlin. And if you begin to really dive in to the relationship that you see between Dory and Marlin, I think what we're going to see, Lord willing, at the end of this morning, is this beautiful mirrored relationship between us and Jesus. See, a lot of us are like Marlin's; we're lost. Now we may not know we're lost, but we are floating in this big sea, this wide open world, and we have no idea where the thing that we lost is. And the thing that we lost is this harmonious relationship with God. We are no longer in shalom, no longer in peace and wholeness as we were originally created with our Lord, and that's been fractured through our sin. And so we're, we find ourselves a lot like Marlon, where we need help. And then this person in the movie, Dory, steps in to help Marlon. In, in a time where he, he has no idea what he needs and what, where to go, Dory steps in. And I believe that Dory is a great mirror picture of Jesus. To so you and I walk through life. As lost folks, aimlessly kind of moving this direction, we can kind of look out and see glimpses of God, but we don't always understand what it means, and then Jesus shows up right in the middle of the story. Maybe for some of you it was for VBS. Maybe some of you it was a summer camp. Maybe some of you it was in a car with your parent or at the dinner table, whatever it was, at some moment, all of a sudden, Jesus was clear as day to you, and where before you may not even realize you were lost. All of a sudden, you have a clear picture of wow, of the depravity and the sin of who you were, but Jesus became a good friend to you, just like Dory became a good friend to Marlon. But it doesn't stop there. I think sometimes in our Christian walks, in our our relationship with the Lord, that's where we stop, right? I got my salvation, I'm good to go. Let's go to church and let's make sure we keep the salvation up, because I don't want to somehow, possibly, if I could lose it. But that's not where it stops, is it? Marlin and Dory continue on this search, and at different moments, Marlin is second guessing Dory. There's a specific moment in the movie where Marlin believes that they need to go over these cliffs, and Dory's going, "No, I'm pretty sure we need to go through them." And even still, Marlin pushes back and pushes back, and they end up going over the cliffs. And if you've watched the movie, there's a bunch of jellyfish, and it's not good. And I think what happens in this moment is a lot like what happens with us with Jesus sometimes. See, we look at Jesus and we say, ah, I really want to do this, and he lets us. And if we're not careful, we can look back at Jesus and go, why did you let me make that decision? But then the answer to that question would be something you didn't like either, because if Jesus didn't let you make decisions, then what would you actually be? A robot. You wouldn't be a real good follower. You would be asking the question time and time again why does why does such a good god let bad things happen it's because he lets you make choices i don't know if you knew that or not he lets you make choices and you and i just like marlon we make bad choices sometimes and those bad choices have consequences and repercussions in our life but you continue on in the movie and marlon's about to give up all hope seems lost but dory continues to stay persistent and i believe this is a great picture of jesus think about, think about the Prodigal Son story. Where this moment where the son leaves and the father kind of goes about his life, but constantly is waiting on the son to come home. At every moment, Jesus is this picture of Dory where he is waiting for you to follow him. Now, I, I do not in any way want to diminish the, the, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, and certainly the Son to this little fish who I think has memory loss issues in, in the story But I do want you to realize that what you see in this movie between the friendship of Dory and Marlon, Jesus is looking for a relationship with you very similarly. And the question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus or have you just believed in kind of who he is? And so what I hope to do through Romans 5 is kind of unpack what it means to have this relationship with Jesus and what that can do for you in your everyday life, what it it means to have a true friendship like you see from that in Dory. And Marlon, that we can have in Jesus. So I want to walk through this text, verse by verse, Romans 5, chapter 1. Let's dive in together. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, let's, let's stop really quickly. What does it mean to be justified? Well, what does is, what is this, this big Christianese word I think we use sometimes called justification really break down for us to mean? I had a, a, a kid's pastor one time t- tell me that the definition of justified is, is a really easy way to saying it, is just as if I had never, just as, just as if I had never sinned. This is what justification is. So what Paul is writing to the Romans here is he's going to unpack this idea of a relationship with Jesus, and he begins by saying, since you Christ followers, is who he's addressing this to, you have been justified. Meaning you have been made right. So we talked about that, that, that broken, that lost thing that Marlon experienced. Like you and I are in this place. When we are created, sin came into this world and it has come into every single one of us. And because of that sin, our relationship, our wholeness, our shalom, as, what the, as the Old Testament calls it, has been broken. Our relationship with God has been severed. And so there's no way back to Him without some version of justification because sin is a crime committed against God. And so because God is holy and just, sin must be paid for. There has to be an account for this wrongdoing. He cannot just turn the other cheek. He can't just turn a blind eye and say, oh, it's okay, because He is a holy, just God. And because of this justness, because of Who he is, sin has to be accounted for. And so if you go back to the Old Testament system, they put in this this law. And for many, many years, people thought that really what they were doing was paying for their sins. But in reality, what was happening is they were just pointing to the reality that they could never pay for their sin. They could never be justified by their works, by something that they did. That's why if you go to the book of Hebrews, it doesn't say that Abraham's faith, Abraham's work, excuse me, was counted to him as righteousness. It doesn't say that Abraham did a really good job of leading the Israelites, and he did a really good job of repenting. What does it say? It says that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So what what does this have to do with justification? Well, Abraham went through these, quote unquote, motions of following after the Lord, knowing that. Every single step he took in following God was a step in faithfulness. Was a step in faithfulness to the coming Messiah. Was a step in understanding that his payment could never be paid by himself. But he needed the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus. And that's what Jesus comes in and does. He becomes this sacrificial lamb. Going back to that Old Testament system. We no longer had to once a year... Get our, our, our perfect lamb and slaughter it with the priest. Jesus became that for us. And I think most people's Christianity stops there. Right? Once my sins are atoned for, once I am made right, all is well. And I'm here to encourage you that there's so much more. There's so much more to a relationship with Jesus than just getting out of hell right like I mean I feel like as Christians that's what we think about just let's just not go to hell but this this text is going to unpack a piece that goes past any any understanding you could ever have and it all is built on this foundation of justification that you were broken in your sins but Jesus came in and made you just for those who have faith it is, it is as if your past, your present, and your future sins, when, when God the Father looks at us on Judgment Day, He no longer sees the brokenness of your life. He sees the beauty and the covering of Jesus' blood over you. And that is a great future thing. But what about today? What about here and now? Let's continue on. Therefore, since we have been justified, meaning we have been made right back to connection with God by faith, which by the way, you go to different texts, you think faith is probably something that you like did and earned and have and all those things, but it was really a gift from God to you, right? So again, not built on your works. You can go to Ephesians, and look that up and says, this, this gift is not of your own doing, but it is actually from the Lord to you. And so we we say yes, we receive the gift, just like on on Christmas when you wake up and somebody's got this beautiful wrapped gift for you. You opened it, but you didn't do anything, right? You just received this glorious thing. And this is exactly what's happening. You receive this glory of justification. And he goes on to, to unpack what this justification means. He says we have peace with God. He unpacks again this idea that it wasn't you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, meaning His blood, His sacrifice, we have also obtained access by faith into, listen to this part, into this grace in which we stand. Notice it doesn't say like we will stand. He says we stand in it now and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. God, What Paul is saying here is that through our faith, we have been made just with the Lord. And because of that justification, we now have peace. So I think we read that and we go, oh, we will have peace. But what does he say? He says you will have peace, but he also says what? You now stand in peace. If you've ever heard a pastor say, hey, the gospel isn't just for your salvation, it's for your every day, and you went... What does that mean? This is kind of what he's talking about. See, I think there was a, there's a moment in Christians' lives, and I had this early in my 20s, that I believed that Christianity was just about getting me saved. And so I would ask questions in Bible studies, like, can we get deeper? Can we get to the deep stuff? You know what I'm saying? Like, I really want to dive in deep. And I had a leader look at me one time and say, if you've ever gone deeper than the gospel and you want more, you missed the gospel. Because that is the depth. It doesn't get any deeper than that. This this understanding that there was nothing you could do, but yet Jesus did it for you. There was a love that you could never fully understand. And I'm not sure we fully understand this side of heaven, but one day, I'm going to stand, and you're going to stand in awe and wonder of the Lord. And we're going to have complete and total understanding and peace of this idea of the gospel that you were dead and He made you alive. And that understanding isn't just a peace for the future. It's a peace for now. And Paul's going to unpack this idea that the peace you receive isn't just something for the future, but it's something for the day. Today. He says at the end of that verse 3, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What is this hope? I don't know about you, but we use hope a lot. And we use it kind of, you know, just leisurely. Man, I really hope this happens. I really hope we go to lunch here. I really hope that this thing works this direction. And really what we mean is we really just kind of hope that when we throw our dice, that everything lands the way we want it to. But that's not biblical hope. That's not really a true understanding of what God is saying when He's talking about, hope. I love this definition of hope. Biblical hope is the knowledge that it will come without the knowledge of when it will come. Hear that again. Biblical hope is the knowledge that something will happen. It will come without the knowledge of understanding when it will come. And what Paul is pointing to us and and using, uh, being a vessel for the Holy Spirit to communicate to us, is that this hope for the glory of the Lord, it will be shown. And it will be shown through the servant heart of His people. Now what is this hope in? It is the glory of the Lord. (sighs) Glory is like a tough word. Right? Like, I mean, I feel like you've got basketball movies named, you know, Glory Road or something like that. You, you've got all these different things that we, we talk about glory, you know, the fame and glory of winning a Super Bowl, the, the whatever glory. And then we get to passages in the Bible and it talks about how the glory of the Lord will be shown and we will rejoice in this hope of the glory. But what is Glory. I mean, is it just something where everybody stands around and goes, man, look at that glory. I have no idea what I'm saying, but look at it. It's glorious. I think it's something deeper. Habakkuk 2.14. says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover The sea. So at some point, this earth will be filled with this idea of glory, and everyone will know of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. Rabbis used to call glory this, the the definition in Hebrew is kind of this weighty thing. It's something that's just heavy, is how they would describe it. I think a a better way uh, to expound upon more of what they meant when they said weighty and heavy is the sum of all of its character. And I say it because if we talked about the glory of a sport, we we could put it in that phrase. When we talk about the glory of the Lord, when we say the sum of all of his character... Everything that He is, His holiness, His mercy, His grace, His justice, His grandeur, His ability to create, His power, all of it. If you were to somehow bottle it up and put it on a scale, that would be glory. We would see whatever number, and it would be infinity by the way. Whatever in infinite number came up. This would be the glory of God because he is so grand. And it's probably a concept that we won't fully understand this side of heaven, but glory is really just this picture of everything that makes up this individual. Going to movies, raise your hand if you've seen the movie Shallow Howl. Man, okay, that was a slow reaction. I was getting nervous for a second. So here's a picture. So Shallow House, Jack Black, it's uh, somehow he he gets, uh, we'll just say cursed, where he only sees, um, he he had a problem, I think, looking at women and and thinking, ooh, they're really pretty, so they have worth, and they're really ugly, so they don't have worth. That's this movie, right? And so he got cursed by Tony Robbins. Uh, He's like a motivational speaker, right? So uh, (laughs) he called him banana hands because he had really massive hands. I'll never forget that line. It was amazing. But anyway. He, he curses Jack Black to only see the person's insides, right? And so Jack Black looks out, and he's still this kind of broken individual who, who looks, looks at women based solely on their outside appearance. But now, all he sees is their inside appearance. And this is just a very small picture of a hopefully understanding of glory because there would be women who, to his Pre cursed mind would not be attractive, but all of a sudden now are tens And it's because he would see their character and he would see man. They are beautiful People in so many ways. He would look and say look at the glory of them Now that might have been an absolutely ter- terrible illustration. It was on the fly So if you don't get it just erase it from your memory But I think this is somewhat of an understanding of glory for the Lord It is everything of who He is. It isn't just this external picture that we have of Him. It is who He is. And so, when we look at it, what Paul is saying is that we will rejoice in the hope, meaning that thing that will come. This Habakkuk 2.14, that the glory, the weightiness, the beauty, the grandeur of God will be over this entire earth. Well, how is it going to happen? Our peace, this moment, comes from the knowledge that Jesus is redeeming all things. And get this part. You have been brought into this redemptive work. If you are in Christ, you have been brought into this work. Continue on. Verse 3. He says, not only that, meaning that not only have we received justification and we now have peace and we will rejoice looking at this future hope. Not only that, but we rejoice now in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance pro- produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Why? Because of your power? No. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts, believers, through the Holy Spirit who has now been given to us. Those last two or three verses right there are really countercultural, aren't they? I mean, how often do we really own this idea that suffering is good for us? I think on a sports level, there's an idea of it. We get it. You work out hard and you, you sacrifice now for the gains later. We, we understand that. For those of you that might play the stock market or whatever, you might understand like, hey, let's buy low you know, or you know, whatever and hopefully it goes up high. There's probably different aspects in area and business and, and parts of your life where you've done something that's been very difficult for a season, knowing that, hoping, right, that it will come to something in the future. But this is very different because what the Lord is telling you and I in this text is that you have eternal peace. You have that that thing that Paul talks about in in Philippians chapter 4, the Tim Tebow eyes, right? Like you can do all things through Christ because you've been in the gutters and you've been up on top of the mountain and neither one of those things fill your boat, but what does fill your love boat, what fills your heart, what fills everything is Jesus The understanding and the ultimate connection and relationship that you have with him. And if you're sitting here going, I don't have that, I would just urge you to pray and ask for it. And say, God, I I don't have this connection with you that fills everything. Help me to have it. And he says, if you seek me, you will find me. Right, So if you're lacking in this beautiful relationship and you're hearing me talk and you're going, yeah, 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 that's just a bunch of church stuff, I'm telling you, it's not church stuff, it's your life. And if it's not your life, it can be. You can have the fullness, the peace that surpasses every bit of understanding you could ever have by doing one thing, crying out and saying, God, I don't have it, I want it. Be, be that for me. I'm lost in a sea. I don't even know what I'm looking for. And I don't need you to be Dory. I need you to be Jesus. Take me. Give me that thing. Help me understand that when the hard times come, it's just a blip on the radar of your goodness. That I'll slow down and stop, and I'll see how good you are. Here is how the gospel changes everything. From the understanding of just for salvation to the everyday if we just live as Christians for salvation when the hard times come we will look exactly like the world meaning here's a good one next year when the election happens and you're somewhere in public and somebody starts talking about how our world is gonna proverbial, proverbially go to hell if you buy into suffering because, oh, Biden, Trump, or DeSantis, or whoever else, if you buy in and put your hope in that, it is going to go to hell, in, perver- in at least a proverbial sense, right? Because people are broken, and they're going to let you down. And so you're going to look just like the world, because when everything's going crazy, we're all, oh, I don't know what's going to happen here, I don't know what's going to happen there, you're going to be just as frantic, and people in the world are going to go, why would I ever want that? But what if what if when that conversation comes up in the workplace at a lunch with some friends, with your family, and you just take like a really even keel approach and go, you know, maybe even support. I, I, I like this person because, but you, you ultimately go, you know what, at the end of the day, it's going to be all right. How can you say that? Well, I'm trusting in the Lord. It's going to be all right. I don't, I don't have my treasures saved up here. I have them saved up in him and people will start looking at you going like this person's freaking crazy but I kind of want that I I kind of want no matter what is happening in the oceans around me that my boat is calm I mean there's the number one selling section in any bookstore if they still exist right is like self-help books And it's because everyone's boat is rocking with the world around them and they're trying to figure out how to get a boat that rocks less. And what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, you have a friend in Jesus who will steady your boat. Let him on. Let him take the helm. You stop. And you'll find ultimate peace and you'll see this picture of the glory of God. And when the hard things come in life, You won't just be a Christian who's worried about your salvation. You'll be a Christian who has ultimate peace and guidance from God. And we talk about how we want to lead people to love God, love people, and invest in his kingdom. When we become a people who are more just about than just salvation and the everyday Christ-walking life, right? We're actually following him, hoping to see the glory of God over this earth. That's when we'll start to see people come to faith in Christ. We, we can get up and we can, we can teach you how to share the gospel and we're going to do things like that. And we can teach you how to have good Bible studies and have great community. But if you aren't letting Jesus on your boat and be the ultimate friend and letting him calm the, the waters of your life, all of it is for naught. Because you're just going to be like those seeds in, in, in the gospel of Luke. Right, that receives this thing for a moment, but when the the weather comes and the heat comes and all the aspects of this difficult world come, it's going to fade away. You need to lean on Him, you need to trust in Him. I'm going to read these last few verses and I'm going to close up. Ben, if you guys want to come on up, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, meaning like scoffing at the Lord, spitting at Him, renouncing His name at every corner. "Ah, I can't believe in that mess. While you were still doing that, Christ died for you. Since, therefore, we have now been justified, made right by His blood, much more shall we be saved By him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We will see the fruits of that salvation here and now is what he's saying. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have now received that wholeness, that peace. We are now friends of God. If I had to sum up this this text with our at the movies thing, essentially what he's saying is while we were still Marlins, lost in a sea and not knowing where to go, Jesus showed up. And if you want to receive peace here and now, if you want to begin to be a people who walk in the fullness and the wholeness of God, <coughs> Jesus needs to be your everything. Your everything. He can't just be this idea, this sort of understanding of a future salvation. He's a salvation now. In that relationship that you have that's broken, that seems like it's beyond repair, Jesus needs to be at the center of your heart in it. I'm not telling you he's going to repair it. He could. He absolutely could. But in the waves and the storm of it, he'll give you a peace through it and the financial hardships of your life. Surrender to Him and His ways. And again, He might not take you out of it, but He can see you through it. Through whatever storms you are going through. The monotony of life. I I don't know if you get caught in that, but sometimes, you know, Life can just feel like you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And some of you are going, that's exactly what I like. I'm a seven, so I don't always like that. right? I'm an 8 wing seven, so I'm like, let's switch it up like every two seconds. But the mundane can be this place where we feel just lost. And we can look at Jesus and go, I'm never lost with you. The world around me might feel mundane. It might feel monotonous. It might feel like, It's the same thing over and over again, or broken, or whatever your situation is. But in Christ, when He is at the center of everything, like think of a a still pond that you just drop a pebble in, and He creates the ripple effects. There's purpose, there's wholeness, there's meaning at the center. There's so much more to Jesus than just some salvation. Have peace today. By surrendering and saying, Jesus, take the helm of my boat. Let me pray. God, would you be our everything? Would you help us to surrender the things that we're holding on to so tightly? Would you help us to see your goodness, your peace? Would you help us to understand the gospel, not just for this way of salvation, but for this way of life? That repentance and faith isn't just this thing we said once or did once at an altar or at a camp or at VBS. But it's something we walk in every day with this full understanding that every sin, past, present, and future, we've been resolved. Because you have paid the price. Help us to stand in awe of your glory. Jesus, be everything. It's in your son's name I pray. God's people said.